Time now for the Lamb McElrane Legal Show. Each show, heard every other Thursday at 1230, will feature different lawyers and their guests from the law firm of Lamb McElrane. All right, look, we're back. It seems like we're back on the air, and I apologize. That was uh, my fault. We were just we were just talking about the opportunities that uh, that everything in society that's going on right now, the opportunities that it brings for change, both change personally, change in society, and it, it makes you reevaluate things. See, that's kind of the way that. I've been looking at this thing, and it obviously gives you some time with your family, too. And I have three kids. My kids are old enough to think for themselves. These are the things that we've been talking about. You know, maybe it's time to to reevaluate the situation. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I know we wanted to talk about uh, social reform and uh, some of the things that have, like, basically transpired since uh, – the killing of George Floyd that uh, uh, most most Americans have have now witnessed uh, for themselves. Um, I wanted to kind of start off with a you know, kind of a personal story to kind of just illustrate uh, the points I want to get into. When I was in middle school, it was like probably the first second week of middle school, and I just come from elementary school. Um, I, I was a kid that you know A and B student. Never got in trouble. was wasn't sent to the principal's office. Uh, never got in fights. And within the first couple of weeks of middle school, um, I was on the bus, and uh, uh, you know somebody who used to be a friend of mine uh, pushed me down in my seat and and, and started attacking me. I uh, naturally, you know, I tried to fend my fend, fend them off, uh, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't a we were standing up going blow for blow. I was just trying to get them off of me. Uh, one of the teachers from the school, the bus hadn't left the premises yet. So one of the teachers from the school came on, broke it up, and we go down to the principal's office. You know, I give my side of the story. I'm assuming that everything will be worked out. And they tell me that I'm going to be suspended from school for three days. And this was the shock. Like I said, I had never been in trouble before. Uh, in school or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, we both got suspended for three days. We were both African-American. And uh, with my grandparents, I was raised by my grandparents. So my grandparents came to the school, picked me up. And for for a lot of people in that situation, that would have been the end of the story. In fact, for the, the person who was in the altercation with me, he was suspended from school. Um, you know, he started a full three days. But for me, my grandmother was the type of person, she knew who I was, and she wanted the world to know I wasn't just some 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 random kid. <laughs> so she called everyone. That first day that I was suspended, she called everyone. Uh, she happened to work at a college. She called the people that she worked with at college. She called my old uh, principal from my elementary school, my old teacher. Everyone called on my behalf. And before the end of the day, the school said, okay, we'll let him back in. So I was only end up being suspended for the day that it took my grandmother to make all these phone calls. And what I learned in that situation uh, those many years ago was that sometimes things happen to people, whether it's purposeful or not, when people don't believe that the person you're affecting has a voice. 
or has the ability to speak out and challenge you on things. I was fortunate that my grandmother wasn't accepting of that. She was going to raise her voice, and that voice was heard. And that made me, I thought a lot about that when I looked at what happened with George Floyd, because what I saw in that situation was um, a police officer who was exercising this great power that was given to him against somebody that he believed probably didn't have a voice. I mean, when you look at the video, you see it's almost a look of like, I'm, I'm doing this and I know nothing's going to happen. Uh, this person ha- does not have the ability to do anything about what I'm doing to him. And so I think that's, you know, the root of many things, these implicit biases that, that people may have where whether it, and most of the time, I don't believe it's intentional. I don't think people go around thinking it in this manner. But I go back to that situation on the bus, and I wonder to this day whether or not if, you know, if I had been white in that situation, would would there have been more care in my situation? Because back then, if you got suspended for three days, you, you if you had tests or exams in that period, you, you failed them. You got Fs. And I had never gotten an F on anything. And, you know, the fact that, you know, what more care have been given? Well, they say, oh, you know what, we're going to hear you out. You know, clearly you weren't instigating a fight. You weren't even really swinging back. So we're not going to give you a suspension. Um, and so that ties into me with what I see that's happening with George Floyd and other situations that we uh, have witnessed. It's just kind of a lack of, not a lack of care, but it's kind of a lack of this person doesn't, this person can't affect me. I can do what I want in this situation because this person really doesn't have the voice. Um, no one's going to stand up for this person. And what I am encouraged by, Dan, in this situation that we've just witnessed, I've been encouraged that so many people have are standing up saying that what we witnessed was wrong, including, uh, and, and to me most importantly, police officers. Um, I've had many police officers, you know, obviously you and I are both former DAs. So we kind of cut our teeth as prosecutors and we got to see police from a different perspective than the, the, the majority of the public gets to see. And we've had long lasting friendships with some of these officers. Um, more importantly, police officers standing up saying this is wrong. I truly believe that this, we're going to have some change now for the first time. There's been many of these incidences. But I think for the first time, we're going to see change because people like police officers are standing up, calling, how can I help? I want to be a part of the effort. I don't want to be associated with a guy like that. And that's the most important thing I've heard, the most important thing I've seen uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, Steve, give me, give me an example. I know, and I, I hear what you're saying about that both of us are XDAs and both of us started here in the Chester County District Attorney's Office. Now we're obviously what most people look at on the other side. I don't necessarily agree that we're on the other side. I, I really am a believer that we're part of a system. And, yes. yeah, I have a job to do, and police officers have a job to do, and district attorneys have a job to do. And I think most of the people included in that system generally view it just like that. Um, and... That's, that's how the system works. The, the system works because I try to do my job to my best of my abilities, and the police officer tries to do his job within the confines of the law to the best of their ability as well. And 
if that's the case, then normally, typically, things shake out in what you would consider the right way. And I'm a true believer in that. That's how the system works. And quite frankly, I'm proud of the relationships that I have with the police officers, whether my my DA days go back further than yours do, meaning I'm more distant, removed from my time in the DA's office. I'm probably 20 years or darn close to 20 years out. But I still have friends and, just as important to me, professional acquaintances uh, that that are on the other side, that are police officers and that respect what I do as a defense attorney and don't look at me kind of cross-eyed or in a different light because I'm a defense attorney. And that's not always true with police officers. A lot of times police officers look at defense attorneys and say, you know what, you guys are the bad guys, and I'm not going to talk to you, uh, and I, I'm going to hold a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of defense attorneys who say the same thing about cops. Um, but it's the, the relationships that I have with, with 99% of the officers, I cherish, honest to God, whether it's I'll, be, I'll have a beer with them or I'll see them walking down the street, I'll ask them about their family. And it's a, it's a mutual trust, a mutual professional respect that really, to me, it was a long way to making the entire system work. I agree. What I, wanted, what I wanted to ask you about, I know you've done some speaking in the public about things recently, and the stories you've told me, I'm interested in what you've been doing. Uh, I hope you can share them with our listening public. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, I, I am one of the few African-American uh uh, attorneys in Chester County and one of the few uh, criminal defense attorneys, um, you know, that puts me in a position where sometimes people may ask my opinion on certain issues. And, and you know, I look at it as a responsibility. You know, if people ask if I can in any way help enlighten people or have some value that way, then I look at it as a, a privilege and an honor to, to do that. Um, so in that, that context, you know, people have uh, reached out. To, to try to com- find common solutions. So I participated in a, uh, a Facebook uh, live uh, kind of town hall format um, right the same week uh, that uh, the George Floyd incident occurred. And it was just a roundtable of attorneys. Uh, we talked about different experiences. Uh, most of us on the, on the uh, forum were African-American, and then we had one uh, white attorney. And we were just sharing our experiences and trying to kind of find common solutions for how we could, you know, move forward, uh, how to advise clients to, you know, to to have better interactions on, from their end when they interact with, with the police, things they could do to try to mitigate uh, things for themselves. Um, from there, I also participated in a, a town hall uh, with um, our district attorney in Chester County, Deb Ryan, uh, a, couple, a former police officer, a current police officer, uh, and state representative uh, Dan Williams uh, from Coesville um, in a forum uh, that was hosted by a, an attorney friend of mine, Brooke Ginty. And same thing there was, again, just trying to share experiences, how we could get beyond uh, what we're in right now to a better place where we can have better relationships between the police and the, um, and the public. 
which I believe is achievable. There are, as you said, Dan, uh, this is a stain on police that, I mean, you think about it this way. When a lawyer commits a crime and is in the news, we, we kind of feel embarrassed about it as attorneys because we know, okay, you know, now our clients or our for, uh, future clients, they're going to not trust us. And so when one lawyer does something, we kind of all feel like, okay, that's on all of us. And so we have an incentive ourselves. Like, we want our profession to, to be the best it can. Police feel the same way. Uh, unfortunately, like, when we make mistakes, Dan, as criminal defense attorneys, most of those mistakes, not all, but they can be rectified through appeals and, and, and different, different venues, different avenues. Uh, and the person that maybe we made a mistake on can get redressed. Uh, being a police officer comes with so much power. Uh, you have the, you know, you have a powerful weapon at your disposal. Um, you can use force to a certain extent. So, unfortunately, when police make mistakes, they can be amplified because it can result in, in death. So I've always said that my position is, you know, I don't feel there's anything inherent about being a police officer that makes someone bad. It's just unfortunately, like, when, when bad people are able to infiltrate a group like police, it can have the kind of consequences that we saw with George Floyd. Yeah, and for, I don't want it to go without saying, cops have a difficult job. There's no Very doubt difficult. about it. It's the, I go to my office, you go to your office, um, we deal with cases as they come in, we go to court, uh, we battle in the courtroom, but us battling in the courtroom and judges sitting there listening to us and district attorneys, assistant DAs being at the other table coming back at us, that's absolutely nothing like what it's like being a cop where you're making decisions uh, at the spur of the moment that can literally cost somebody their lives. Um, so I understand that it's, that it's a very difficult position to be in. And uh, the more I talk with police officers and exactly what you're saying, the relationships that we've developed, almost to a man, if not to a man, each person has said, Look, this guy went way, way over the line, uh, yep. and the, the, the quick decisions we're supposed to make, this wasn't the result of a quick decision. This was the result of something else. Um, yes. And it's, remember, it, you know, it's not just the George Floyd case. It's the Rashad Brooks case. It's the Ahmaud Arbery case. Um, some of them are police officer-oriented. Some of them are not. It's more a, a kind of a societal thing that is blown up at this point. But with police officers in particular, there's, there's bad people in every line of work. There's bad lawyers. There's, yep. And I'm not talking about just incompetent, but there are, there's bad people who are doing lawyering. There are bad people that are refrigerator repairmen. There are bad people who are police officers. And the Exactly what you're saying is that that a police officer's job is when he's a bad person or they make a really bad decision that it's magnified so astronomically compared to what other professions might be doing. Yeah, and and uh, just to piggyback off your point, like police officer, I, I've I've made this comment many times. I couldn't be a police officer. I think that it's such an exceptional, you need to be exceptional to be the, a police officer. And we've met many, uh, you and I, we've interacted with many officers who are exceptional. 
but I think that's the standard that it has to be because of that great power. If you think about uh, airline pilots, right, you can't just be okay <laughs> at being an airline pilot. <laughs> you can't just be, you know, uh, above average. You have to be exceptional. Exceptional, And the proof of that, the proof of that is that how often do you hear of airline crashes? It rarely happens um, because their checks and balances, their procedure to get the very best exceptional people is very, is very good because what's on the line? M many, many lives are on the line every time that airplane goes up in the air. So I've readily admitted, like, look, you know, which, what those guys do, those guys and women do, I couldn't do that. I, I, don't, I wouldn't have the – I don't have that ability to, in the spur of the moment, uh, have that courage, that bravery to make that split-second decision. But I've witnessed others do it. I've witnessed police officers with that ability yeah. do it. And what I've always said is, you know, police officers themselves, just like lawyers, we try to self-police ourselves sometimes. We want to make sure that other people aren't dragging down the profession. We need police also doing that same thing with their profession. And like I said, I'm encouraged because I feel like more and more police officers after this George Floyd incident want to be a part of the solution. and uh, have us all moving better in, in a, in a, uh, to a better place. But like I said, it, it takes exceptionalism to be uh, a police officer. And what we clearly saw with George Floyd, the, 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 that officer in that situation was not, he was anywhere, but he was anything but exceptional. And I think it starts there. I think it starts with making sure that you get the very best. And people who have been in those, you know, tight situation, those intense situations, those are the people that the, the people making the hiring decisions need to rely on. Go back and look at records. Hey, you were in this situation where this, this, the person you ended up arresting had guns, he had a gun in his hand, uh, but you didn't fire. You were able to stay calm, relax. You know, the guy put his gun down eventually, and you were able to get out of that situation. Everybody lived. The guy went to trial. He was convicted. How did you do that? What was, what was, how did you get to that point? And then use those people to make hiring decisions because they can, you know, just like as lawyers, we can say this, this person doesn't have what it takes. Police can do the same thing. Like this, this guy, he doesn't have what it takes to be me. Uh, you're hundred percent right. And that's, I don't think that that's a position that I could hold either. Uh, what I'm interested in Steve is I know you said you had the, uh, the virtual meeting with, with maybe with like a teleconference and Deb Ryan, our, uh, elected district attorney was online as well. Tell me some of the things that not only were discussed, but what came, what you took out of it. Where do we go from here? Okay, good good question. Um, obviously, my my biggest thing I keep pushing is, is hiring, hiring. I don't what what we saw with George Floyd wasn't a training issue. Like people say, oh, we need more training. Are they need more training? Not necessarily. Sometimes, but. There was no training on this. Like the, the guy just sat on the guy's neck. It, that's not in the training manual. In fact, it's a, it's against policy to do that. So, no training would have prevented what we saw. So, to me, again, it comes back to getting the very best. And what came up was interesting to me. Uh, one of the police officers on the the town hall stated that when they first became a police officer 20 years ago, there would be about a hundred applicants for like four or five positions. Um, and then, oops. Since that time, probably about 40 applicants for five positions. So what does that mean, Dan? 
that means less people are applying. So you have less of a pool to pick from of the very best. It's like when we do jury selection, you know, if the, if we only have 20 people to pick our jury with, we're, we're in bad shape. But if we have 100, then it's more likely we'll get a jury that's, that's going to be more fair. We're going to be able to get the very best. We hope to be the very best. And so there's a recruiting problem right now, which is, you know, and this police officer said that it seems like because of all this happened over the last decades, couple decades, there's not a lot of people that are interested in being police officers like they used to. So we need to find ways to get people to be interested, um, want to be police officers again. Um, and I think it starts with that being in the community, not just policing a community, but being a part of the community. I think if you can get to that point, then you're going to have people that, you know, are you, you know, admire police on a broad level again, and they want to, they want to be police. Uh, I told this story recently, you know, my son uh, recently turned five and we're all on lockdown and there's not a lot of options. So I called a police officer friend of mine on short notice and they said, Hey, you know, are you available to do a, a drive-by uh, parade? And he's like, no problem. And he called up a couple of his, uh, 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 people on his staff, they came to, you know, drove by my house, they got out of the car, you know, let my son try on the uniform, <laughs> all these kinds of things. <laughs> my son was, just, my son was ecstatic, but think about what that means to him. You know, my son's first memory, first real memory of, it, of a police officer was their hero, a good thing. So sure. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future he's like, oh, I, you know, I want to be a police officer, right? So little small things like that, small things like police officers doing what they're doing now, which is standing up saying, hey, that was wrong. Uh, you've seen protests where the police officers will kneel with the protesters. Those things mean something. And when people see that and you start seeing that over and over again, people are going to be like, man, that's really heroic what that police officer did. I want to do that. I want to be a part of the change, too. And so I think over time, we'll start to have more people want to be interested in police. But we got to find ways to get that's one way. But we, that's important. We got to have more recruits. We got to have, you know, people uh, wanting to come into the job. So that's one of the things I took away from that discussion: uh, the difficulty in, in, in getting more police officers or more people to apply to police, be police. You know that the idea of community policing that you're talking about, I think, is so valuable. And uh, our county, Chester County, Pennsylvania, it's a pretty diverse county. I mean, you have you have um, a significant amount of money up on the main line. It stretches into Philadelphia, and you have significant depressed areas uh, in, in really kind of geographically spread throughout the county. You have the farms down in the southern part of the county. You have the city of Coatesville. You have the borough of Westchester. They are extraordinarily different types of communities. Um, but you see the different policing it goes on in the various types of communities, and uh, it's interesting to watch how the police get involved with their community. Just giving you one example, obviously our office is in Westchester Borough. I think Westchester Borough is 1.6 square miles, something like that. It's extremely uh, densely populated, and the new chief is a guy named James McGee, Jim McGee, um, and Jim and I go way back uh, to my district attorney days, and I know that he's going to kind of keep going and probably 
step up even some of the policies, the community policing policy of the borough. But I know a main focus of that department is to get involved with the borough itself, with the people of the borough. And that, that, that borough merely just of Westchester, it has the university, it has the residents, it has a lot of bars and restaurants, so you have people coming in and out on a daily and nightly basis. It's interesting to see how the police integrate themselves into that community, listen to all the people involved, and then you make your decisions, your policies, decisions based on what you find from opening your ears. And it's the same thing with Coastville. Coastville is extremely uh, community-oriented, getting their police integrated into the fabric of the community. For those things, it's exactly what you were talking about, where you see the good of the police and you're not just yes. involved with, hey, we have a problem, call the police. Yes. Build that trust to build the relationships. And I'm amazed, Steve, and we do this every single time when we're talking about this before, <laughs> and we say, hey, we're gonna, we could talk for hours on this stuff. Well, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to roll this over into our next show, okay? Yeah, man. It, it, time goes by quick. You're right. It really does. And, and uh, I, I enjoy listening to your thoughts on this stuff. I'm sure we'll do it again, not on the radio. But just to remind everybody, uh, the professional part of things, again, we're attorneys at Lamb Lane on 24 East Market Street in Westchester. We are back open for business in full starting on Monday. That would be Monday the 29th. Uh, I believe it is. Yeah, Monday the 29th. Our offices are wide open. Uh, Chester County Courts are also and have been wide open. So um, we're trying to get back to normal as much as humanly possible. And I, I, I want to tip my cap to the to the law enforcement people out there. And again, I think some of this stuff really gives you the opportunity to rethink and readjust and kind of relook at how we do everything in life. And the policing part is obviously a big part of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Steve, good talking to you today. Ladies and gentlemen out in the public, good talking to you again. And we will speak again shortly. Take care, everyone. Take care, Dan.